When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, welcome to the Celtics Lab podcast, the last episode of the radio season. I'm your host, Cameron Clyde. I'm joined by Alex Goldberg. The Celtics Lab podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network and BetterHelp. You deserve to be happy. We're going to talk about the regular season that was. We're going to talk about some end of season awards. We're going to try to explain a few things about the CBA. And to do all of that, we welcome in from Celtics Blog, from Heavy.com, from the How About Them Celtics podcast. My friend and yours, Jack Simone. Jack, what is up? Not that much. Thank you for having me. I, I didn't know this was the last podcast of regular season. I feel special now. This is this is great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, we were a weekly. So uh, unless there are, there are protested uh, <laughs> outcomes on the part of the Celtics, I think we're done here on Sunday. Um, I think we're done here on Sunday for the regular Well, I know we're done for mm-hmm. the regular season on Sunday. I think the play-in games are Tuesday and Wednesday. And... Uh, I think the first Celtics game uh, playoff game will be Sunday of next week. Mm. I think that's the 16th, but none of that has been officially released. Anyways, Alex, Jack, how are you? Um, I've had some better weeks. My ankle is currently <laughs> hurting a lot. Uh, my cat just got a bunch of teeth yanked out of his head. So he's on drugs and bumping around into things and Tennessee democracy is collapsing, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, so, you know, just getting through it. One thing I will say is that the C's are coming through for me, though. So we're all right. Yeah, it's, we'll call it even. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Jack, how are you? Long time no see. Yeah, yeah, it's been a minute. Uh, similar to Alex, but been better weeks. But, you know, we keep on rolling. The Celtics have sort of figured things out after their, mm-hmm. you want to call it a collapse post-Oscar break? Whatever you want to say. Their, their bumpy road, their rocky road uh, post-Oscar break. Yeah. Okay. That's a better word. The hiccup. Um, so yeah, it, it's nice to see them back on track again. It's a, a more fun environment on Twitter at the very least. <laughs> yes. The, the mood is a little better. Although <laughs> um, quite frankly, if we're being really honest, <laughs> clicks and podcast listens are down. So if the Celtics fans could uh, get it together, that would be great. Um, <laughs> Justin has in our notes, Justin is off this week that we have to talk about UConn winning the NCAA tournament, but I went to the University of Pittsburgh, so uh, I'm not going to do that. And um, instead, I'm going to say, hey, Justin Champagny, welcome to the Boston Celtics, although that also hasn't been officially released. Jack and Alex, what is official is that the Boston Celtics have locked up the two seed in the Eastern Conference. Jack, I'll go to you first. Given the speed bumps or the rocky road or whatever is the two seed a point of pride or a disappointment? Uh, it's good. I will say before that, I, I will make Justin happy because I did bet on UConn before the tournament started. So I was maybe a very happy guy <laughs> when they took it home. But uh, no, yeah, the two seeds good. And um, uh, on How About Them Celtics, I host with uh, Sam LaFrance, who writes for Heavy as well. Uh, and he 
was less happy about the fact that they're the two seed than I was last time we spoke. Uh, he initially used the word embarrassing because he was just mad that they lost the one seed. Uh, I, I, I calmed him down a little bit and we used the term disappointing that they couldn't keep up the one seed chase. Uh, but even that, like, I, I personally don't think it's a big deal. Like when you consider the context of the Bucks won on a 16 game win yeah. streak, Giannis is arguably the MVP. We don't have to get into that conversation, but I think he's probably up there. Uh, you know, they, they've sort of gotten in groove after Chris Middleton came back. They found some health. The Celtics were dealing with their own things. Jalen Brown was out for a little bit. Marcus smart, Robert Williams has been in and out. So there's some, some rough spots there. And the, the way I kind of contextualized it was, the struggles post all-star break that sort of saw them slip into the two seed rather than the one seed probably should have happened at the start of the year. If you think about it, like Joe Missoula, new head coach coming in, there's going to be some bumps. Robert Williams, not in the lineup. Probably were going to be some bumps, but they just kind of ran with it. And, and, and so I think it should have been expected that this team with all the new things coming in, Brogdon in the lineup, Rob out, uh, Missoula, new head coach coming in, all the drama before season with uh, Udoka. Like th- there was going to be a bump in the road at some point. It just happened later than a lot of people expected. So all things considered, two seed, good. Like like top, no really complaints for me. Yeah, not too much to add there, Jack. The only thing that I would throw in, and I largely agree with basically everything you said. The only thing that I would throw in is that um, one of the things I saw is that Celtics, there some, not all, but some Celtics fans are concerned about uh, the possibility of a road series in Milwaukee. Mm. To that point, I guess I would throw out that while with respect to the Bucks, who are a very good basketball team, and if they win the title this year, I would not be super surprised by that. Um, it's not like the Celtics haven't shown us they can win on the road in the playoffs. They have done it. They did it last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. Game six, critical, or uh, sorry, yeah. Yeah, game six, critical win in Milwaukee last year. Like the Celtics can win on the road. They have a good record on the road. Um, This is going to be about matchups and health more than anything. So I don't think the Celtics are particularly concerned that they're the two seed. I think they feel pretty confident that they can win in just about any building in the NBA. And all things considered, I think something that might be more important for Boston than necessarily winning the one seed outright is making sure that they potentially have home court in a final series, um, which they can achieve by getting one more win or one more Denver loss. In that situation, whether they are the two seed or not, they would still have a better record than every team in the Western Conference. And thus, they would have home court in the finals. Obviously, last year, they didn't have home court in the finals, and it cost them pretty dearly as a result. So I think we've seen that the Celtics can win on the road. They're definitely capable of that. I don't think, given how well they've played the Bucks this year, that they are like terribly concerned about the possibility of going into Milwaukee and beating them in a road series. But I do think that um, getting one more win on the ticker just to make sure that you potentially have home court in a finals matchup could be something uh, worthwhile for this team and worth hanging their hat on. Yeah, Alex, while you're saying that, I am looking at the NBA standings and I'm just going to in real time react to something I'm noticing, which is astounding. So uh, to your point, the Celtics are a good road team. Uh, the Bucs are a good road team. The 76ers are a good road, road team. Um, so check this out. The Bucs are 26 and 14 on the road. The Celtics are 25 and 16. The 76ers are 23 and 16. And on balance, the Knicks are 24 and 16. Um, and even the Nets are 22 and 19. In the Western Conference, the Nuggets are 19 and 20 on the road. The Grizzlies are 15 and 24. The Kings are 25 and 15. But then the Suns are 17 and 23. And the Warriors, obviously are putrid on the road. Um, I don't know, maybe it's always the case the Western Conference struggles on the road and I've just never noticed it, but um, not only, Alex, to your point that the Celtics are one win away from 
if they made it to the finals having home court but if they faced a team in the finals that might be a big deal because it seems like the class is the class of the west is not very good on the road that's fascinating sorry i just am reacting to that in real time um i i kind of want to split the difference I, I i would use the word embarrassing insofar as we we can probably list the losses that if the celtics uh were maybe a little more engaged or a little luckier or something like that they would have had in the bag and things would be different um jack i, I do think the point that the bucks were just really damn good at the right time is mm. is pretty pertinent and I'd also say, I don't know what the seeding projections were pre preseason, but I know the Celtics were slated for 54 wins um, in a lot of places, and they have a chance uh, at their 56th win tomorrow night. So they're about where we thought they were going to be, maybe a, a smidge better. And uh, on and off the court challenges notwithstanding, that's pretty good. Just um, one more thing to add in. I think a lot of people were concerned about the idea that um, – whichever team wound up in the two seed would have to face both Philly and Milwaukee, which are considered Mm -hmm. the two kind of class of the East teams outside of Boston. Uh, I'll tell you this right now, Boston Celtics are not particularly afraid of the Philadelphia 76ers. And I don't think they should be. They have played that team great all year. They barely, the Sixers barely beat the Celtics the other night. And we'll get into that uh, in just a little bit on a shorthanded team uh, and like really escape by the skin of their teeth. I don't think they're afraid of the Sixers at all. And frankly, I think they're kind of doing a little bit of a disservice to this Cleveland team, which is starting to pick up some real momentum. In particular, Donovan Mitchell is starting to pick up some real momentum as the playoffs kind of come into view. That guy, listen, I know the Utah Jazz underperformed relative to their expectations in the playoffs a couple of years in a row. It was not the fault of Donovan Mitchell. That guy is a killer in the postseason, And I don't think any team that's going up against the Cavs should just write them off in the second round at all. Yeah, quite frankly, a, a second round matchup between either the Knicks or the Cavs might be more physically taxing than the Sixers, at least for the Celtics. I mean, with respect to the other teams in the East, I think Bucks Celtics is a pretty good bet for the conference finals. But, you know, that is still five or six weeks away. So let's not get ahead of ourselves. Uh, speaking of that Sixers loss and what was frankly probably a little too close of a Raptors win last night, Jack, where are you at with just the Celtics as the, the season wraps? Um, so much of the, like the data that we want to use to justify our opinions and stuff, it really has to do with momentum and stuff. So let's, let's just talk about where the Celtics are at right now. Um, what are you seeing that you're liking, worried about, would like to see different and on and on and on. Yeah, I think the last two games, like you mentioned, excuse me, Raptors, Sixers, um, the Raptors win definitely got a little closer than you might have wanted. And the Sixers game, Celtics probably, like realistically, they probably should have won. They were in a position to win. And then the offense kind of just collapsed at the end there, um, went cold. And I think both of those are because, I mean, you're missing starters. You're missing Jalen and Rob in the Sixers game. You're missing three starters in Marcus Horford uh, and Jason, excuse me, in the the Raptors loss. And so when you're missing one of those two two star players, the Celtics are still capable of winning. But I, I feel like the offense goes downhill a lot because Jason's cold, having a cold shooting night. If somebody else is, is not, you know, finding a rhythm in the fourth quarter, the Celtics kind of don't really know where to turn to. And luckily in the Raptors game, Derek White, Malcolm Brogdon both had big games and that really helped elevate them. Uh, and in the Sixers game, Marcus Smart just made a ridiculous couple plays down the stretch uh, to get them back in the game after, I, I will say, probably 
a not so great stretch to help them be out of the game in the first place. Um, but I wasn't too concerned with the Sixers loss, especially when you're seeing what is arguably one of the most dominant offensive performances I've seen all season from Joel Embiid. I mean, he just, I did the math for an article I wrote for Celtics blog. He took 25 shots as in field goal attempts. He obviously took some, some more shots that ended up being free throws because he was fouled. But of the 25 field goal attempts he took, uh, eight were in the restricted area. He went eight for eight on those. And then he took 17 jumpers and he shot 12 of 17 on jumpers. And if Joel Embiid's going to make 12 of 17 jumpers, there's really not much you're going to be able to do to slow him down. And so, uh, and and then even when you do d- double him, PJ Tucker decides to make three threes for the first time in, I, I don't even know how long. Um, yeah. So <laughs> at that point, you kind of just, you know, you wipe your hands clean. You think it's funny that they almost won anyways because the Sixers collapsed uh, and you move on. And then the Raptors game, I, I never have a real problem with the Celtics struggling a little bit in the fourth quarter and late in games, especially when they're without Jason Tatum. And I'll give them credit. Like in those Nets, Knicks, Cavs games, a lot of the discourse uh, me and Sam talked about at the very least, and I'm sure a lot of people talked about it as well, was like, you know, you really wish they could just hold on to leads. And even when they were faced with the adversity of the Raptors coming back and tying it at one point, they still bounced back and they still kept their lead and still maintained their composure and they pushed forward. And like Joe Mazzula said this once during a post-game presser, like the NBA is the NBA. Teams are going to make runs. Teams are going to come mm-hmm. back. And, and and the only thing you can do is adapt and respond. And that's kind of what they did against the Raptors. So you combine those with uh, the win and the loss, you know, Philly, Toronto with, the, the big win against Milwaukee with two fully healthy teams for all intents and purposes. Um, the Wizards loss was obviously a, a nice little stay in there. That you you kind of want to forget about, but that, that was a thing. But then you go back past that, went over Utah, went over Sacramento, uh, went over the Spurs, like a few good wins there. You feeling good about where the Celtics are heading into the playoffs. You'll feel a lot better if they win these last two games, but don't really know who they're going to play. So that's a big question mark too. But fr- from what they've shown, in the games where it matters, i.e. Milwaukee, i.e. Philadelphia, even though they were down guys, I'm feeling pretty confident because it feels like this team, for as much as they play down to their competition when they face off against teams like the Rockets and the Wizards, they also play good teams really, really well. I I would have to do the math, but probably better than most other teams in the league. Well, I mean, you don't have to do too much math. They certainly do play better. And in fact, I believe the case is that as of now, the Celtics... um, when playing against top three seeds in either conference, just doing math off the top of my head, apologies if I get this wrong, but I believe they are currently 11 and three against yeah, the top three seeds in the Eastern conference. So um, I think you're right on the money, Jack. The Celtics seem to rise to the occasion against high level opponents pretty much whenever they haven't played the new look Phoenix Suns at all. That's pretty much the only team I can think of that uh, is like an upper echelon team that, um, they don't really have much data on, but outside of that, I mean, this, and this has been consistent all season when the lights are brightest and when the competition is at its best, the Celtics have stepped up time and time again. And, you know, they have these three losses, but in two of those losses, they had multiple players out. And in one of them, it was a road game against Denver in which they shot 27% from deep. You're not going to win a lot of games shooting like that. So all in all, I think the data speaks for itself. Boston is elite against the best teams. Yeah, it's funny. Um, last night, Malcolm Brogdon, uh, not directly, but was basically asked, hey, are you guys going to sit guys down the stretch now that you have the two seed locked up? And he said, it's really important that we go into the regular season with momentum. Um, and Missoula said something as such, you know, they're creatures of habit. They need to simulate things because um, they could be off for about a full week. Um, Brogdon, smart, Pritchard, uh, and white are all questionable for Friday's game. And 
I don't think any of them, I mean, maybe smart really does need to be on ice, but I'm curious about that. Yeah. I think both of you are, are spot on. I mean, the, the Celtics are probably a little big for their britches and that they haven't always gotten up for seemingly lesser opponents. And you can get blitzed pretty easily in the NBA. The talent is really good. The three-point shooting introduces new levels of variance. Um, probably the Celtics haven't earned the right to coast in the regular season the way like LeBron uh, certainly has set that up for himself. Um, but I do think the, the returns are very, very good and recently have been very, very good. That I don't know. It's interesting. We flirt with this concept a lot in the season. Like what is statistically significant? But at the same time, uh, players' roles change, players come back from injury reports, like new rotations emerge. And so how valuable the season-long data is, I'm not 100% sure. I, I will say, and uh, Missoula was quite proud of this, that the Celtics are back in the top three in offense and defense, I believe, um, yep. and net rating as well. And again, maybe regular season stats are fluky or, or what have you, but those are usually good predictive measures of quite competitive teams. And I, I think this point last year, the Celtics were number one in defense by a country mile, but not as dialed in on offense. So we've, we've talked about it. Giannis is really damn good. And we don't want to, uh, we don't want to forget that the rest of the Bucks are really damn good. I'm the number one supporter of Drew Holiday making all NBA first team. But I also think that the Celtics are <laughs> yeah, that's, that's nuts first team wow <laughs> i would take third team i think first team is ambitious um i think that it's ambitious knowing how the award works if i were picking guards in the nba that i would want on my basketball team he would be one of two wow. um, <laughs> and i feel really good about that because do you know what he does better than almost anyone else in any nba backcourt is plays some fucking defense and Dame Lillard doesn't play defense. Uh, Donovan Mitchell doesn't play defense. <laughs> I can think of a couple of guys who play wear defense. green. I, I can think of a couple but of guys they, who wear do green. Do they play offense as well as Drew Holiday? I think you could argue that Derek White is playing about that level right now. We'll see. No, that's that's a preposterous see, uh, we, homer take. <laughs> we, we did our All-NBA projections on the other show, and I think the conversation ended with like I, me saying I wish there was a place for Drew Holiday, so I know I left him off mine. Um but I, I can't like argue that he doesn't deserve to be on a team because he probably does. I, I forget who exactly my guards were. I think I had, oh man, I, I think I had like Donovan Mitchell and Luca on first team. I, I we we had like a bar, so I couldn't put Steph on because he he didn't have enough games played or something like that. Because uh, we at, at the time we did like seventy percent of the games, so it was like fifty two. But I remember like just knowing that I, I I left Drew off and I felt bad about it. But there was like it was like him, Jalen Brunson, that both weren't on a team, and it's just like there's so many guards in the NBA nowadays that are playing really well, and it's just it's tough. I, I respect it. That first team might be a little too rich for my blood, though. You know, um, nineteen points per game, uh, seven point. I have to pop up. I can't figure it out. Seven point four assists, <laughs> five rebounds. One and a half steals and half a block. I mean, and I will add that I didn't know this. Drew Holiday's nickname is the Druth. So, boom, <laughs> he's on the first team. Okay, wow. quickly, um, let's just be real. The CBA stuff has come and gone. We are not the smart, smartest spoons in the drawer to discuss this stuff. <laughs> so we can talk about it briefly, but I, I quite frankly would recommend seeking out people like Yossi Goslin or uh, Danger Cart, Ryan Bernadoni, people who really mm -hmm. live and breathe the capology stuff. Um, we can quick, quickly make mention of 
the Jalen rule and a few other things if we want. But first, I, I do want to point out, and Jack, you were there for this. When Jalen was asked about the CBA, he seemed most proud of the player empowerment by way of investment and mm-hmm. uh, not quite content with some things related to players' social media autonomy and things like that. So I, I think that there are elements of this that are quite player-friendly and some elements that are quite team-friendly. I think some of the squishy stuff, it sounds like maybe this the Players Association wishes that they got more. So a good compromise leaves everyone unhappy, I suppose, but it's it means that for the next six or seven years that NBA and the PA have a CBA, uh, alphabet soup. Um, just quickly, I, I made mention of the Jalen rule. So basically what that means is uh, extensions are now uh, up to 140% of uh, a player's salary. Is that what it is? Um, as opposed to 120%. And the being called the Jalen Brown rule because he's just in this perfect sweet spot where it's going to go into effect the year that he would be eligible for an extension. And really he's the only high profile player with the right years of service or lack thereof for this to, to take effect, which is probably not suspicious and coincidental actually. But um, it does mean that the Celtics, even if Jalen doesn't make all NBA, can offer Jalen Brown more money in an extension. That doesn't mean that Jalen would take it because it's not as good as the all NBA extension. And maybe he doesn't want to take it anyways. Anything I missed on the Jalen extension thing, and then we can chew the fat about the other stuff. I don't think so. Yeah, I think we're good. The only other thing that I think might be interesting is um, at least as far as Jalen is concerned is if indeed the equity thing is something that he cares about, then uh, one thing, one card that the Celtics might be able to play, obviously they'd have to go through the ownership group to figure this out, but one card that the Celtics might be able to play that other franchises might not um, is giving some level of equity in the franchise uh, as a condition of his resigning. Well, so I'll push back on that. What I've been told is it's that there will be like mutual funds uh, or uh, not shell corporations, what's that? Yeah. like holding groups. So yeah. a player can't own a percent of a team, which I, I do get where the players association is, com- association is coming from. Lots of employees own equity in the, their workplace and it's not a conflict of interest. Mm. Um, but I don't think that the rule, it, we don't know yet, it hasn't been announced. I don't think it would be that A to B, Alex, but maybe, um, I don't know. Let's do this. Let's pause the action. Let's talk about our friends over at FanDuel, and then we'll get back into the CBA if we'd like. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back, and there's no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, an official partner of Major League Baseball. And new customers in mass can get in on the action with $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Boston. Finally, you can bet on all your favorite sports from the money line to point spreads to player props and more, Alex uh, and Jack, the Boston Celtics, Boston Celtics, Boston Red Sox, are very good at hitting the ball and not very good at pitching the ball. How do you feel about the Red Sox off the jump real quick? Yeah, I mean, I think the pitching concerns are the big thing for me um, and have been for a while now. You know, I'm feeling kind of cautiously slightly more optimistic about the Red Sox that they aren't going to be the complete dumpster fire that I thought they were going to be heading into the regular season. I think they will probably be like a mid-tier, like borderline wild card team if they get hot. But uh I'm I'm having a hard time seeing them win the World Series. 
put it that way. Well, if you're feeling ambitious about your own Major League Baseball predictions, you can use an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use, and that would be FanDuel. Don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. Visit FanDuel.com slash Boston and make every moment more. FanDuel, official Major League partner of Major League Baseball. You must be 21 and older and present in Massachusetts. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. The bonus is issued as a non-withdrawable bonus bet that will expire in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Hope is here. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Okay, back to the CBA. Any specific rules you want to shout out that has caught your eye or that you're interested in or concerned about? If not, we'll move it into the lab portion of the program. Yeah, Alex. I have one, which is um, the addition of a third Supermax slot um, on top of teams that already have two Supermax guys under contract. Um, so this rule is a little bit hazy, but I believe the main thing is that um, it would open up the ability of teams to retain two Supermax guys that they already have under contract while still adding a third Supermax player. So in theory, if Boston decides at some point during the near future how this affects them, uh, that they would need to consolidate uh, their depth into potentially a third star player to go with Jason Tatum and a re-sign Jalen Brown at a Supermax should he make all NBA. That is something that they could do. Now with the tax ceiling being what it is and the elimination of the um, uh, taxpayer MLE, this would be a situation where the Celtics would be parlaying much of their depth into a third Supermax player and then rolling out probably something reminiscent of the 2011 Miami Heat a big three with basically nothing outside of ring chasers for depth. Um, so this would be logistically complicated for them for a number of reasons. In addition, the fact that they can't trade draft picks seven years out now, it would be really hard to make that team happen just from a logistics standpoint, but they now could do it in theory to have three super max guys and build a big three in Boston. If that's an option that they wanted to pursue in the future, obviously, Right now, there doesn't seem to be an obvious candidate that they would want to do that with. I think one of the things that the Celtics have found success with is their depth this year. And so I think they would be loath to do that at the current state of things. But the NBA moves fast. You never know how these things go. And I imagine once the new cap figure comes in, that there are going to be some teams in the arms race fashion that are going to try and do exactly that. And so the Celtics might be in a situation sometime in the next few years, assuming they keep Jalen Brown, uh, where they might be pressured into a similar situation. I don't know. Donovan Mitchell seems like he gets along with Jalen and Jason. <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, the, the CBA is chock full of interesting tidbits. I mean, uh, and more information will come out. So I encourage people who are curious to, to find sources who are a little more polished when it comes to talking about that stuff. But there are things that very much so could impact Boston Celtics quite directly moving forward. Uh, importantly, it seems like cap smoothing will be a thing should there be any big jumps in the salary gap based on new television deals or anything like that. So uh, Timothy Mozgov and Evan Turner contracts from 2016 probably won't be popping up in the same way. Although uh, we root 
for the Celtics privately, and they didn't really have any of those monster contracts. So that was kind of a fun era. I can imagine being a Trailblazers fan or a Lakers fan or uh, a fan of a team that laced up one of those contracts and being a little annoyed. So whatever. Anyways, what we're going to do in the lab portion of the programming is look backwards and forwards. First, I'm going to ask you about some of the end of season awards that the Celtics are probably in line to compete for, if not outright take home. And later we'll talk a little bit about possible first round matchups. So that's where we're going next in the lab portion of the programming. And we can go down the list, but first, speaking of hardware, we've already seen some awards given out. The uh, Tommy Point Award or the Tommy Award went, uh, went to Malcolm Brogdon, this, uh, who we'll get to shortly, this past week. And then last night, Jalen Brown won the Red Auerbach Award. So some members of the Celtics have already gotten some nice trophies. But uh, Malcolm Brogdon is... Actually, Jack, you're the perfect, perfect person for this. Um so Malcolm Brogdon is number two in six man of the year uh, odds. Thank you, FanDuel, at plus 230. And Emmanuel Quickly is the leader at minus 310. And just anecdotally, Jack and I were sitting next to each other at the the Knicks game a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Jack goes, I think Quickly is going to have a big game. And <laughs> Quickly had a big game. So Jack, your boy, Emmanuel Quickly is the front runner to be six man of the year to either of you think that Brogdon ends up winning that award? I mean, I, I love quickly. Like, like I'm a fan of quickly from a completely neutral perspective. Excuse me. I, th- I think he's great. I really don't know, like outside of maybe his off ball defense, cause it's played a big role for the Knicks. I really don't really, I don't get his case over Brogdon other than he's had a good late stretch and you know, the, the narrative is shifting in his favor. Like, consistency over the course of the year Malcolm Brogdon has been there the entire season his team is better he's playing you know I don't know if he's playing more minutes I think he's playing less minutes but he's averaging more points I think he's been the more overall well-rounded player I think you could argue that Quickly's maybe had like a more noticeable impact on the Knicks because they exceeded expectations. But like, if you really get down to it, the impact Brogdon has had on the Celtics has been huge without him. They don't win some of these games. He stepped up and he's been a secondary scorer when one of the Jays have been out. Like, I, I really don't understand why he's not the favorite to be quite honest. Like, like I, I feel like he should take home this award. I feel like he deserves the award. And with all due respect to Emmanuel quickly, I feel like a big part of him being the favorite right now is because that's just what the narrative has been. Cause he's been hot. Um, and I, I saw some back and forth on Twitter between Celtics and Knicks fans, which as you can imagine, was very pleasant uh, <laughs> being like, you know, quickly started an X amount of games and Knicks fan said, yeah, because that's what the six man does when players are hurt, which is like also a very fair argument. But it's just like, I, I don't know, it just it, w- consistency over the course of the season. It feels like Brogdon has him beat. Um, and it, I mean, if Emmanuel quickly wins the award, I'm not going to sit here and complain because like he also deserves it. But I just feel like Brogdon deserves it more based on the entire body of work this season. I I just read the fine print. Uh, the line that I read to you is as of 9 p.m. on Sunday. Um, mm. So that could change. Malcolm had a really nice game last night and uh FanDuel if you're listening we look forward to the updated odds and listeners if you uh if you can you can get that Malcolm Brogdon plus 230 go for it you can also get Bobby Portis plus six uh 6500 I love Bobby Portis um let me pause the action again and talk about our friends over at BetterHelp and then we'll get more into this stuff and we're, we're really happy to be sponsored by BetterHelp least of which because we think that there are some stigmas 
related to uh, seeking support and online therapy. And, you know, one of the things I think people maybe misunderstand is that therapy isn't just for cataclysmic life events or when you're really, really down in the dumps. Um, I, I know that I have some homies uh, who, you know, they've got some life stuff going on or their partners have some life stuff going on and talking to someone for just a few sessions can really make a big difference. It doesn't have to be, this is a pivot point in my life. It can be, Hey, uh, some stuff is to the fan and it's tough. And I'd, I'd like to talk to someone about that. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, you should consider giving better help a try. It's all online. It's made to be convenient. It's made to be flexible. It's made to suit your schedule. Um, it starts with a brief questionnaire. You get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch for no additional fee anytime you like. So if you don't like the person you're talking to, you can find another therapist. Once again, BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash selflab today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash selflab. Okay, so we feel good about Brogdon, six man. I'm going to pose one, and Alex, I'll let you go first on this one. I'm not expecting a, a affirmative answer, but Joe Mazzulla, coach of the year? Nope. Um, and, <laughs> and that's not a slight to Joe Mazzulla at all. I think Joe Mazzulla has done a terrific job with the Boston Celtics, and I think he deserves uh, all sorts of praise for managing the situation from the very beginning of the season to getting them out to more wins than even Vegas had them pegged at. Uh, and in general, I think a lot of the criticisms of Missoula from the Celtics fan base have been pretty wildly overblown. If you look at this, the numbers and if you look at the record, Missoula consistently provides the Celtics with a chance to win games. Some of his ATOs and timeout calls may be a little bit less than desirable, but he has this team prepared and playing great basketball. And I think in general, he deserves his flowers and recognition for his part in that. That being said, the Coach of the Year award has been locked up for a few months now. Mike Brown is the overwhelming favorite to win Coach of the Year, and justifiably so for bringing the Sacramento Kings back to the playoffs after 20 years in the desert. There is no chance that Joe Mazzulla is going to win because Mike Brown has had this award locked up. Yeah, you're yeah. right about that, Jack. Your <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, if anybody else besides Mike Brown wins this award, I think it would be one of the biggest upsets in recent memory. Like to get the Kings not only into the playoffs, like I, I think he would have won the award if he got the Kings to the sixth seed, but they're competing to be the two seed. I think they'll end up as a three seed, but like they have been one of the three teams in the West not at risk of falling into the play in in a Western conference that like. Most people like before the season, I expected them to miss the playoffs, not because I didn't think they'd be good, but because there's that many good teams in the Western Conference. And now they're the three seed. Like the, the fact that he's gotten that team together and sure, they've had, you know, adjustments. They signed Kevin Herter. They brought in Malik Monk. You know, they drafted Keegan Murray. Demontis Simonis has had more time to gel. The, the fact that he has that roster in this position, and I, I mean, I, I think I was talking to somebody last night about this. Like, I, I think the Kings are going to beat whoever they play in the first round. Like they're that good. I, I I think they're that talented, especially on offense. Sure. There's some defensive issues, but like he's gotten them in such a good position and playing such good basketball that it would be a crime if he didn't win this award. You were talking to Bobby. I, oh, I yes, almost, I was talking I almost to Bobby. topped in and said, Hey, what about the defense? <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, you both are correct about that. I, I was being less facetious and more fair. Cause I think Joe deserves. Mm. These awards are so weird. I mean, at the end of the day, they, they 
someone wins them, but we do this whole dog and pony show around making sure people are in the conversation. It's like, oh, great, just Nathan's fourth. Guess who doesn't win a trophy? The fourth place person. <laughs> now, I have been fastidiously looking at Drew Holiday advanced stats, so I'll continue to lean on you two, but where's Jalen Brown in the all-NBA conversation? And I think we're in agreement that he's decidedly in the conversation uh, and not going to be taken out of it. Uh, Jack, correct me if I'm wrong. No, I, I think he should be on an all NBA team regardless of if he's a forward or not, which he is, by the way, he's a forward. Let's not like, let's not be cute about it. He's played forward all season. They've always had two guards out there unless they've played the double big lineups, which they play, played like maybe six times, right? Like not a lot. It's been Marcus Smart, Derek White in the starting lineup for almost the whole season. Even when they don't have Tatum, they play, uh, you know, Derek White and Sam Hauser at the guard and Jalen Brown. He's a forward. Like he's played 60% of his minutes at small forward, power forward, and 40% at, at shooting guard you know, 60s greater than 50%. Let, let, he's a forward. He's played forward. And so uh, I believe when I did uh, my predictions, I had him on the second team, you know, Tatum and Giannis on first team. I think it was Jalen and Julius Randle on second team. And then third team forwards was something along the lines of Jimmy Butler and and somebody else. Cause I had Sabonis as a center. Um, but even if he's a guard, like you have to have, Luca, excuse me, and Donovan Mitchell. You have to have Shea Gildas Alexander, but past that, I, I think it's kind of a toss-up. Like Steph Curry should be on there, but he's missed a lot of games, so that's a question mark. I don't know if you know people will look at that, especially with the new rules that don't take effect this year. But people will probably think about it when they're giving their votes. Um, Jalen Brown is the second best player on the second best team or third best, I guess. I, I forget the Nuggets record uh, in the NBA, and he's averaging like. Put it this way. This is the way I put I I you know put it into perspective for myself a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> Jalen Brown is averaging effectively the same stats that Jason Tatum averaged last year when he was on the first team All NBA. So the fact that we're even having a conversation that Jalen Brown, who is averaging the same stats as somebody who was first team last year, might not even make a team this year just because there's somebody else better on his team. Like that that doesn't like make sense to me, right? Like the Kings are probably gonna have two All NBA players, right? The I the hope so. the yep, and Cam the Bucks should probably have two. It's your oh, holiday yeah. right there, right? You look around the league, all, all these teams, you know, you see, oh, the Sixers, does James Harden make it? Does, you know, the Nuggets, they're probably not going to have anybody because Jokic is that good. But you look at the Celtics and it's always been Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. So the fact that one of the best teams in the league has somebody averaging uh, off the top of my head, I'm making this up, but uh, it's probably around 27, six and four. And you're saying, oh, he might not make it on be a team like. That, that just doesn't make sense. He is absolutely an all-NBA player. The only thing you can argue is which team should he be on. Cool. Alex, anything we missed? Not a tremendous amount to add. The only thing that I would throw in is that um, I think the field is a little bit more competitive than uh, a lot of voters are necessarily letting on. Um, obviously, Julius Randle, as mentioned before, will be in the mix. I think at this point, it's pretty clear that Tatum and Giannis will be the first team all NBA forwards. That seems pretty not up for debate at this point. Um, But for second and third team, you've got Randall, you've got Jimmy Butler, you've got LeBron, who's always in contention for these things. Kevin Durant, even though both of those guys have missed some games, they've been having pretty terrific and stellar seasons when they've been on the court. Kawhi Leonard, of course, like it's not like there are any slouches in the mix for this uh, set of awards. That being said, I think one advantage that Jalen has over them, in addition to his great stats and uh, general contribution to a really high-level winning basketball team, Jalen plays games. Jalen has been playing more 
than Kawhi Leonard, more than LeBron James, more than Kevin Durant. Like this guy really has not missed a lot of time. He had a couple of brief spells where he would miss games with injuries here or there. But if you look at games played, Jalen has most of the other second and third team candidates beat just from a sheer like total number of games played standpoint. I think he did a lot to cement his case as well in these last couple of weeks, particularly his explosive win over the Spurs. Uh, and obviously the Spurs are headed for Wemby land. But that being said, you know, no Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown carried the team that night. Um, he was terrific in the Bucks game. He's been kind of on fire lately with the exception of a couple of games here and there. Uh, but in general, I think his case is as strong as any one of those other guys. And the fact that he's played more games than most other candidates and he's playing for one of the best teams in basketball, I think will weigh in his favor. Plus he's been on this media blitz and I think that that's not for nothing. I mean, he's been in the conversation again and again and again. I would just shout out. I, I don't know. I suspect Sabonis will make it. Um, I'd like to know if Markkanen is going to make it. I'm not sure if, you know, he, I think maybe the, the jazz ran out of gas. Did you see that Markkanen is going to do his conscription service for the Finnish army this summer? Yes. Um, the Finnish wow. army that just joined NATO. Um, probably nothing, but you know, that's a sentence that I didn't think I was going to say <laughs> at the beginning of the year. Anyways. Uh, we won't spend too much time, more time here, because again, the play-in tournament will happen and it will come and go, and we'll know who the Celtics are playing soon enough. And you better believe it. We'll do a preview pod for all you wonderful people. But for now, we can talk about the teams they might face. I think in pencil, well, in pen, it's Chicago, Toronto, and Atlanta will be in the play-in tournament, and then in pencil, it's Miami because there is a world where Brooklyn and Miami swap places. Um, Jack, we will do the following. I'm going to ask you to pick the opponent that if you're the Boston Celtics, you would like to face the most uh, out of that. And mm-hmm. uh, basically, it, it's almost definitely between that Miami-Atlanta uh, pairing. But I think there's a chance that Chicago or Toronto, two games left, uh, the rap, I think the the Bulls are not an option, but you can talk about the Chicago if you want. Toronto could still eke their way in. So, anyways, who are you most looking forward to matching up with if you're the Celtics? Even if they could have faced the Nets, the Raptors, the Bulls, or the Heat, it's the Hawks by not close mile. Like the, <laughs> it's just the the way they've played the Hawks over the past couple of years. First of all, is dominant right like they don't really have anybody who can defend jason tatum or jalen brown and if you don't have somebody who can at least defend one of those guys let alone both you're probably not going to beat the celtics very much um they've been the the definition of mid all season like like have you seen all those metrics they've spent like 79 straight days but within one game at 500 which does make you a little scared because if they're a game below 500 you're probably going to lose but at the same time like it's it's incredible how average they've been this season. And then you look at the other teams, the Bulls have given the Celtics some issues because of the rebounding and Nikola Vucevic and DeMar DeRozan's mid-range shot. The Raptors just play them annoyingly well because, you know, they're scrappy and Nick Nurse loves to stand on the sideline with his mouth open, you know, begging mm-hmm. the refs for foul calls. And then the Heat, 
you look at Eric Spolstra, probably one of the three best coaches in the league, four best coaches in the league. He's phenomenal. And Jimmy Butler turns into a monster in the playoffs. And even the Nets, like they're a scrappy team with a lot of, you know, wing defenders who could probably give Tatum and Brown, uh, just irritate them a little bit. The Hawks just, just don't even like make me blink a, a second. <laughs> they might take one game because the Celtics get bored. Um, but even if the Celtics play like they did against the Wizards for three games, I, I don't There's think it matters. Like, I, it just yeah the hawks are just they don't even strike fear in my heart at all and after that there's like a giant gap between anybody i'd rather play the hawks than the magic or the pacers or the wizards i'll put it that way and they're not even in the play-in right like the, the hawks don't scare me in the slightest uh let me just clarify first of all tremendous i hope on it clips that part for social media because that was <laughs> wonderful um i was explaining things as if the celtics were the one seed and they're not they're the two seed so they could face the bulls uh pretty cleanly so respect the bulls sorry alex i am pretty confident that you agree with jack but yeah either either pile on or zigzag a little i mean i think the reality is that the celtics should be considered heavy favorites in matchups against any one of those teams um i don't particularly think this version of the miami heat is anywhere close to last year's horrifying version of the miami heat Um, the loss of PJ Tucker has impacted them pretty significantly. And in general, I think there's a lot of holes in their rotation that a better Boston team with better ball handling, particularly Brogdon could really exploit. Obviously, you know, bam, Jimmy Spo, you never really want to go against those guys in a playoff atmosphere, but this Miami team is not last year's Miami scheme. So I, I don't think they should be striking fear in our hearts in the same way. That being said, the Hawks are the clear favorite here. Boston annihilates the Hawks. And I think just from a play style standpoint alone, when the playoffs come around, um, matchup hunting becomes a much more prominent thing that you see teams go to uh, when shots are not falling, offense isn't working, whatever. And boy, do the Hawks have a glaring and obvious matchup to hunt in Trey Young, a guy who just can't defend anybody on the Celtics team. Like, I, I think he would struggle to defend Peyton Pritchard. Um, Trey Young is one of the worst defensive players in the NBA and will be sticking out like a glaring sore thumbtack every time that the Celtics see him. So I would love to play the Hawks, but I'm, I'm not really worried about any of these teams. So not to, to, it happens. Um, Alex is having a little bit of mic issues and you might've heard some static at the beginning. And so he's been sitting more still to eliminate the static and the static came back because he was so physically and viscerally <laughs> piling on the Hawks just now that that's why the static came back because his whole body was engaged in making it clear that the Hawks are stinky at basketball. Um, the Hawks are stinky at basketball. There's, we don't need to belabor that point. Yeah. I, I hope that the Celtics do not get the yips the way that sometimes they do or have in the past, and I could see Chicago being a veteran, crafty team, punching them in the jaw in a weird way, Um, and I also could see that with Miami, but there's no reason the Celtics should not sleepwalk through the first round. Toronto is weird for me in that the talent is there, the athleticism is there, the depth is there. It's just really bad juju. I mean, their coach is actively divorcing them, (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's the same thing with the Hawks. Like the, the something is off and you can't play good basketball when something is off. Um, so, man, I don't know. I, I, I just want to like linger on the, the Raptors for a second, but I don't really have like a cohesive thought because 
they haven't really shown us any reason to be fearful of them other than there's a lot of rangy guys as was on display the other night but Celtics were without three starters so I don't know anyways we can pause there because again the plan tournament will come and go and this time next week we will be talking about uh, less abstract we'll know who the Celtics are going to play and the Celtics will know first because as the two seed the Celtics will get the winner of uh, the first playing game and not the loser or the, the, the next one or whatever it is so we'll know soon enough anyways Jack Simone of Celtics blog with heavy.com of how about them Celtics podcast thank you for stopping by Alex you missed a big win in rec league go wombats I hope your ankle's <laughs> feeling better and I hope Ari's feeling better too soon soon um, this episode of Celtics Thought Podcast is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. And better help, you deserve to be happy. Thanks for listening. Like and subscribe. And we will see you next week.